Good morning. Um, can I ask you, would you turn to someone next to you? Just uh, give them a fist bump. If you know them, you can give them a hug, but just welcome them to church. And I'm going to give you a minute to do that um, as we greet one another and God's goodness to us. We are so grateful for you all. As Pastor John mentioned, we want to welcome everyone to church. Our membership class today will be in the preschool room. Um, a membership is the idea of um, uh, mutual accountability. You're part of a group. And uh, also it's a time where we share what we believe and what makes Crossway Crossway. And so we'll share some doctrine. Gene will be sharing and leading some of the doctrinal parts of what we believe. And then secondly, um, I'll be sharing a little bit about what makes our church distinct um, from the other many churches that are around. Um, and then um, you'll have a gift ready for you next week. And so it'll be wonderful. But it's a time of accountability. And those who teach at church, um, you know, we ask that they are members and we get to know. And uh, so there is that. You know, and that's how in the uh, New Testament church was done. There was a sense of accountability and a sense of correcting and encouraging one another on during hardships and so on. And so um, we want to do that. And as Paul talks about that, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice. We want to weep with those who weep. And so you got to get plugged in, right? Um, and sometimes I hear people say, well, I went there, um, I went to this group, and it was the most unfriendly group of people. And, you know, like, well, you know, did you get to meet them or know them? No, but they're really unfriendly, right? Um, and so there's just kind of cer certain things we portray, but really it, it's all of us, and so we, us coming together as a body, and so we want to do that, and for our parents meeting with Crosswalk, it's in the youth group room, where your kids will eventually end up across the way, so make sure you stop by that. Um, so we're excited about that, and um, I, today we're going to be talking about this passage here that talks about glorifying God with our earthly our bodies that he's given to us and somehow God has created us he uh, indwells the believer and he really owns this body and uh, he's talking about those who were sexually immoral in the church and he talks about that you know and so as I think about this I was thinking about a uh, uh, this one YouTube channel that I was watching and I um, was watching with my wife, and some of you probably have seen this, right? Um, it's a channel where a random guy goes to a dilapidated house where it's been very unkept on the outside, and he mows the house down for free. Have you seen that? It's called, uh, the original guy, I think, is the guy S.B. Mowing, and that's his name, I guess. Um, and uh, he has, I looked it up, he has 168 million views, right? Uh, about 50 are from me, right? And so I, I, he goes to a house, and he, he's in Wichita, Kansas, and they go, and they, it's a house, and it is overgrown. You could barely see the structure of the house and the layout of it. And he starts mowing the place down. He starts trimming everything down. And as he does this, and he does this usually like eight hours, ten hours, and it's sped up. And if you're like me, I fast forward to the good parts of it, and I, like, I want to see the before and after. And um, as he does this, he sees, oh, there's a walkway here. He, no, no one even knew. There's a sidewalk here that has been covered up with dirt and weeds, and he uncovers that. Oh, there's a porch here um, that was placed. And so the before and after you see that, you say, oh my gosh, it's oddly satisfying. It's so clean. It's inviting. It's a place where someone should live. The first one, it looks like maybe um, they should destroy this. You know, I wouldn't want to live in that kind of place. 
And so I was introducing to this to my wife a few weeks ago, and one night we watched a couple of these together, right? That was our date night, right? So um, don't judge us. I'm sure you've done the same, right? Um, but uh, I share that kind of a, a silly um, a story just because, uh, you know, the, the structure of it, the human body, the earthly body that we have. Back in the days here, um, those in Corinth somehow believed that the body was a waste. Um, and so they would say things like that the body is a tomb, and that was a proverbial saying of the day. And so the culture of the day kind of believed that the spirit or the soul was good and the body's a tomb. One of the philosophers of the day in Corinth would say something like, I am a poor soul shackled to a corpse. And um, So they believed that what I do with my body doesn't matter. The body's wasting away anyways. Um, and Paul says, for the Christian, actually that is untrue. Um, and this is his argument here, right? But today we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage. And in it, there's two sayings that the people of Corinth believed, the culture of the day believed. Um, and then, but it's unbiblical. And Paul argues against it. And we're going to look at those two false ideas that they believe then and which is very similar to what our culture believes in today. And then the third part is, he says, to glorify God with our body. How, why should we do that? How should we do that? And so three parts that we're going to be looking at, right? Two parts, actually. The first part is the two sayings, and the last part will be the how and why we should glorify God um, with our bodies. So just a little background information in Corinth. Um, Corinth was... Uh, a town, that a city that had many visitors. It was almost known, and some historians will talk about Corinth as a place where there was a, uh, a kind of a, a, almost a sex industry. People would travel there for that, and it was somewhat known for that. And the temple that was built there, um, they had over a thousand prostitutes, and so people would come in the name of visiting the temple, and they would now meet a prostitute, and have sex with a prostitute, pay an amount, and the amount would go to this temple. And uh, it was kind of part of the culture. And so people would come in, and that was the excuse, and they would come in, and they would be a part of that. And uh, they, one commentator talked about this number, that one in something like 30 people, if you do the calculations, one in 30 people were uh, uh, connected or at one person, at one time or another, a prostitute or currently a prostitute. It was that prevalent. And so what is happening here is that they are coming into the church. People are being born again, hearing the gospel. They're wanting to be part of this new community, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And they're coming into the church and they're bringing these philosophies in with them. And one of the things that they brought in was well, it's just a body. Who cares what I do with it? And that was the philosophy of the day. And Paul is saying, no, it's so much more than that. Your body, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, you are, as a believer, indwelt. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are owned by God. And so what you do with your body now matters. And how you treat your body ought to be of that much more concern to you because it's not just my own. It is the Lord's. Now, um, I was looking this up, right? Just recently, um, Tiger Woods had sold one of his putters. 
And uh, he has a Titleist, Scotty Cameron putter, right? And uh, he's got the skinny ping grip. Anyway, there's a lot of things I know about his putter. So he has his real putter, which is all dinged up and he loves, and he's won all the tournaments with, or most of his tournaments with. And so Titleist uh, made him the exact replica so that if this one is lost or no good, that he could use the backup. But for some reason, he didn't like it. So this one looks clean, and he's tried it. So he's maybe practiced with it a little and then he signed it, and he put it up for auction. Here's a putter that's now sold, I think this past year, for $328,000, right? Why? Because is, is the metal better? Is it made out of diamonds? Is it made out of gold? Is it a rare type of, you know, material that it's used? No, it's the same thing. But it's the person who owned it. And I was looking it up a little bit more, and he had a set of irons that he used. The set of irons that he used when he was in his prime his peak when he won all four majors consecutively which was um, one of the greatest feats ever in golf right and those irons that he used at the time sold for 5.1 million dollars and again was there anything different they're scuffed up they're messed up they're beat up because he practiced a lot with it they're worn out really but because he owned it because he touched it because he had it now, there is someone that spent $5.1 million maybe thinking, maybe some of that will transfer to me. You know, like, if it's, is it the club? It's not the club. Now, if I went out and bought a set of irons, and I spent $500 and bought a set of irons, and I played around for a year, and then I said, I'm going to sell this. It was owned by Steve Choi, all right? Um, some call me Tiger, but I'll just say Steve Choi. And here, I'm going to sell this. Um, and they say, oh, you paid 500 it's beat up, here's, here's 150 I say, no, 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 wait a minute, all right? I, it was me, Steve Choi, I, I, I used this, okay, um, $75, okay, here you go, like, that's it. It's the person who owned it, right? It's the person who had it. And so we see this with collectors, whether it's a, a dress worn by Audrey Hepburn or a car driven by James Bond in one of the movies, and the collector wants those things because someone touched it, someone owned it, someone had it in their possession, and there is now value because of that. And this is what Paul is arguing. He's saying, you and Corinth think the body is just, just the corpse that's holding the soul and you could do whatever you want with it, who cares? But he's saying, no, what you do with it matters. Because you are now bought with a price, you are owned by God, and so you have to live for him, and the one who indwells you. And so this whole temple talk that we see here, they would go to the temple, but he's saying, actually, no, he is here in you. You are of that much more value. And so he argues against them. So the popular sayings of that day, number one, the first thing that they would all say is, quote unquote, all things are lawful for me. This was the motto of the day. This is what they believed. You see this written in verse 12. You see it in the ESV. They put it in quotes for us. It's repeated twice. So he's saying, this is what you believe. This is what the culture believes. Right? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So he argues on a very practical level. Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? For you to go to the temple and you to go and meet these prostitutes, is this beneficial? Is this helpful? And he says, I will not be dominated by 
anything dominated. Uh, it's this idea of someone ruling. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 13, for example, says, uh, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not have dominion over me. This is have, sin having power over my life. Um, this idea of dominion, it's the same word used in Genesis 45 when Joseph is described as the one who has dominion over Egypt. He's the ruler over Egypt. He sets the rules of the land. And he's saying the sin could have that effect on us. Uh, the New Testament says the same thing as well. Romans 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. That word reign is used in 1 Timothy 6.15 to describe, to, it's translated king of kings. The one who is the king. Don't let it be king of your life. Don't live by your own rules. And again, all things are lawful for me. And this sounds very familiar to the day, uh, to today, where it says, it's my truth. It's my body. It's my life. It's my, what I want to do. Um, and just as Paul says here, that I will not be dominated by anything. And just as the psalmist, and he says again in Romans, this idea of addiction to it. He's saying, don't let it be ruler over you. It's the idea of addiction. You know, in the, the Mayo Clinic website, they have this description of what they call hypersexuality or having an addiction to sex. It says, and I take it off of their website, it says the craving for sex is similar to cravings felt for alcohol, or drugs by those who have addictions to these substances. It is an overwhelming compulsion or temptation that's so strong, you feel that you have to have it. It's an out-of-control feeling, never feeling satisfied, right? Um, so it's an out-of-control compulsion. It's something I cannot control. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, why would you go and do this? This is something that could have, uh, that could own you. This is something that could rule over you. And so on a very practical reason, let's take the theological part out, just on a practical reason, you shouldn't do this. You can become addicted to this. And so anything that we can become addicted to that could have this dominion over us, we have to be also very careful. And so this is one of those things. The second uh, Phrase of the day in that culture, they used to say often, is this phrase. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. It's a very practical way of saying things. It makes us now less than human in a way. It's saying, if you feel like it, go for it. And it sounds very similar to the culture of our days, is that if this is what you feel like, or if this is how you identify, well, it's just biology. And this is what it's saying here. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. But what is different, and if you start accepting thoughts like this, um, you make the creation, the, the highlight of God's creation, man and woman, now no different than an animal. An animal does not have shame. An animal does not have guilt. An animal responds by instinct. They go and migrate when they migrate. They move when they move. They procreate when they need to. They eat and attack when they do. And in all of that, there is no shame. There is no morals or right or wrong. Whereas humanity, 
created in the image of God, we are different. And so we are, we have to be also very careful that a lot of the thoughts that are out there, that it is not dehumanizing us. It's taking us now closer. You're not made in the image of God. You just do as you want. You just live out how you please. But yet, made in the image of God, we have now judgment. We know what is right, what is wrong. We know we're made in the image of someone holy. And so we have this conflict. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, quote-unquote, he says. Verse 13, um, God will destroy both one and the other. He's talking about just human appetites. He says, that'll go. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. It is for God. There's a a strong tie here uh, that talks about how... um, this uh, union with someone is almost the same kind of idea of the union of getting closer to God. It was the, the purpose of sex between a husband and a wife. It's the way that we could join close in the closest of ways. Verse 16 and 17 has this phrase. Verse 16 says, he who is joined to prostitutes becomes one body with her. As it is written, the two will become one flesh. Um, But he's talking more than just the physical. And then again, that same word is used, verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord. It's a sense of not just the physical, but of a spiritual. It's a closeness. Now, we don't touch God physically, but yet we have joined together with God in a, a spiritual sense. And we who are spiritual beings, with the husband and wife, you becoming one, it's not just a physical act. But it's now you, two spiritual beings, coming together. Um, This word, to join, in the original language, kolao is the word, kolao. It's a strong word. It means to cement something together, to glue something together. Kind of the idea of for permanence. Now, if you ever use cement uh, for something, you really want it not to ever move. You want two separate things to become one. And there are certain glue, whenever you glue a couple things together, it could even be construction paper for little kids, you glue it together, you want that to now never come apart, right? A good glue, a good cement, it sticks together. And when you try to tear it apart now, it has remnants of each other as you tear it off. And oftentimes it breaks and rips, and it breaks apart as you try to separate it from the cement. It is C.S. Lewis who said this, The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, this is the sexual part, from all the other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. So, Lewis is arguing, Paul is arguing, there is nothing casual about sex. There is nothing, it's not just a physical thing that you do. It's not just living out, boy, your animal instinct just for a little bit. It is the closeness, the oneness that you become to someone, this union that you have with your spouse. So, um, you think about that. Now, if you say, well, I, I, this, I don't know, maybe what they were saying back then makes sense, right? And we would argue, obviously it doesn't. 
Because if it was true, and if it was just a body, it was just pleasure, and it was just sex, then we would say, well, um, rape is no big deal. But yet the victim of, a, of that crime, it doesn't just affect them physically for their, that time when that's happening. It affects them for the rest of their lives. It breaks them on the inside. Right? And it, they have to heal from it. It's not just physical. A child that's been abused, they don't just say, well, it was just something that happened when I was a kid. No, it really affects and hurts them for the rest of their adult life. A couple, if one party commits adultery, you cannot just say, well, it was just physical. There's no meaning behind it because, no, it now fractures the trust and love that's between and in that family. And think of all the people who are hurt around that because of that. Years back, I had uh, uh, someone reach out to me from out of state. And uh, uh, this young couple that knew me wanted to talk to me. And uh, when I talked to them, I found out that um, what had happened was he had committed an affair, and she had found out. And um, it was uh, one of the most sad scenarios as both were wailing in sorrow. Um, and uh, he kept asking, okay, what can I do to correct this wrong? Like, what can I do? Please, pastor, tell me so she could be appeased, and what can I do? And I said, there's nothing you can do. When trust is broken, it, it's going to be there for the rest of your life. What can I do? And so we've seen it, and we've witnessed it. Many of us have have seen our parents go through something like this, or you might have had loved ones go through something like this, or you might have been on the end of something like this. Or, and you say it impacts everyone because we are not just animals that go around as we please for the day. This is the argument here. You know, when in John chapter 4, when Jesus approaches a Samaritan woman at the well, and they discuss, and Jesus approaches her and says, I could give you water, right? Uh, whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. She says, I want this water. What kind of water is this? And then right then, Jesus goes to something that seems um, unrelated, but it was. See, what she was looking for, some spiritual connection, he says, well, go, go bring your husband. And she says, I have no husband. He goes, yeah. You've had five, and the one you are with is not. And she was seeking something more as she was going from person to person. And she changes the subject. I see you're a prophet. And so and so. And she tries to change it. But why does Jesus go to that topic there? Well, it is because it is connected. It's the idea that we are spiritual beings in need of an intimacy to be joined together and she's saying, you are going one to another, one to another, and it is not. And you are still thirsty. And there is nothing casual about this. And so she brings this, uh, he brings this up to her. I do this sometimes, you know, when I send a, a bill. Um, you ever do this? I'm sure you've done this, right? And, and I still have a few that I send uh, manually, you know, like the trash bill or whatever. And I write a check. And then you seal it, 
you know that that you know really delicious taste when you you know seal the envelope you know you're like ah oh, you know and then um, seal it and and then you go wait a minute and you go, did I put a check did I put the right check sometimes I'm confused did I put the right check or not um, and then so what do we do we say, well, it's only been ten seconds I'm sure I could open this envelope up and it'll be okay it should reseal and we open it up slowly and it's already just losing its stickiness and you check oh it's in there and then you're pressing down and it doesn't stick anymore. It was already one. It doesn't stick. So you're trying more saliva, more, you know, and it doesn't stick. And then it's the ghetto, the tape on top, right? And you send it away. And I'm sure the person who receives it gets some of those each time. And so that is the permanence of it. That is the heaviness of this. That is now the uh, seriousness of this. Where they were taking it as so, something so light. And the culture around us is uh, just the same. And all the sitcoms or a lot of the movies and things we watch, it's just casual. There's no consequences. No one is hurt. They just, it's within the hour or two hours, whatever it is, it happens, it's done, and these people just move on. And he says, no, that's not how it is. And so the gospel application for us today is to glorify God in your body, it says. How do I glorify God? And this is how he concludes these thoughts. Verse 18, number one, he says to, Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. It's very practical. The word flee, right? You, you picture someone. It's not just walk away, avoid. It's flee. Fleeing in the dictionary has the thought of to run rapidly as from danger, to escape, to keep at a distance. So if you are fleeing a natural disaster, you don't casually walk away. You run away. You get away from it. Uh, it is the Martin Luther who um, was so, uh, if you read some of the things and many uh, historians will talk about Martin Luther's almost humor and his insults toward the papacy and so on and he was, it's almost comical when you read it and one of the things he said and I quote, it says, if your head is made of butter Stay away from the fire, right? I mean, this is like, wow. What, uh, it just, he paints a picture in his humor. If your head is made of butter, don't go to the fire. Let's consider, right? And he's like, oh, man, yeah, it is butter, right? right? And uh, stay away from this. So flee from it. Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2.22, so flee youthful passions. Flee from this. So run away from this. Go away from this. Avoid this. And then what does he say in verse 22, the second part? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So there's two acts he talks about. Flee from something and pursue something good. And so what he's saying is don't just be casual, neutral, don't just float around. The current of the day will continually take you out this way. If you've ever got caught in a rip current, it's taking you out. And if you just float... It will take you deeper and deeper. You have to fight. You have to go, go against and say, I got to keep moving and I got to pursue these things. And let me encourage you to pursue after these things. Make a checklist. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. To run swiftly after these things. Why? Because you are not your own. 
So glorify God with your body. Verse 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Know the purpose and be used by God in this way. There's a quote by Irenaeus who says, the glory of God is man fully alive. Irenaeus, is a, the history is fascinating. One of the church fathers in the second century who heard the preaching of Polycarp, who was the direct disciple of John the Apostle, who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. So you see, he's a couple degrees separated from the Lord Jesus, and he heard this, and as he had put his thoughts together, as you go back several thousand years, the glory of God is man fully alive. The purpose of the house that was built by the architect and the builders has to be clearly seen. And we trim away, we cut away all the things that now cover this. And we reveal the purpose of this. The door is here. The sidewalk is here. I'm supposed to use this. The driveway is here for the car. And it was all designed for people to now use. This is for God's glory that we are created You were created. And God values you so much more than what the world says. God values your life so much more. And he gave his son, when we confess our faith, the spirit of God lives in us. He thinks we are better than any temple that's built out there. And not only does he live in us, he now says, this is mine. And so when we think about ourselves, we got to say, God, this is for you. Would you be glorified in this? Maybe sometimes we have to go out there with a mower or a trimmer and say, let me clear this up for God. Let me live for him in this way. And that is my prayer for us today. Could we pray together? Uh, Lord, we thank you um, that you love us and you have bought us with a price. You own us. You, we, you fearfully, wonderfully made us, created us in your image. And so, God, we take all of that. And so, Lord, when we go into relationships, the two becoming one, and all of these thoughts that we know of, it's so much more than just what the world says. It's so much more than anything that's casual. It is the greatest form of intimacy. It is joining together as we are joined with you. So, Lord, would you help us to flee from things that will keep us from you. Help us to flee from temptations and help us to pursue that, is that which that is righteous and love, peace. God, help us to pursue you. Would you help us to do that? We cannot do this on our own. We do it by God, Holy Spirit, you who strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.